And the mystery writer's soul in it always in the middle of the night. That's what we're trying to find out. We're trying to find out who killed him and where and my fellow mystery fiction loving fans and welcome to the Houdinaville podcast. The podcaster I, your host slash tour guide through the mystery fiction universe, goes forth onto the web and seeks out recent articles, lists, essays, news items, or anything interesting really about the mystery fiction genre so that I can pass all that information on to you, the listener, to ensure that you're the most up-to-date, informed mystery fiction fan that you can possibly be. My name is Tracy Roberts, and you can find the Whodunitville podcast wherever you find your other favorite podcasts on platforms such as Spotify, Pocket Cast, Breaker, Radio Public, and Google Podcasts, to name just a few. If you have any questions about the Whodunitville podcast, or if you have any topic suggestions or news items in the realm of mystery fiction, you can reach us on Twitter at Whodunitville or by email where it's Whodunitville at gmail.com. Well, how is everybody doing today? I hope you're all having a great, bright, beautiful day wherever you're listening to this podcast. As you know, here in Whodunitville, it can sometimes be dark and scary, but not always. Sometimes it's bright and beautiful here, too. It's just that when it's bright and beautiful in Whodunitville, that generally means one of two things. Either a psychopathic killer has put up a cheerful facade to lure people to their deaths, or it's the dawn of a new day after a harrowing experience the night before trying to solve a string of grisly murders. I was actually thinking about this the other day because I wanted to review Murder, she wrote, and uh, I love mystery fiction, but if you can't be the main hero, how horrible would it be if some of these mystery fiction towns existed in the real world like they do in fiction? You'd have to not only live with the constant fear of being killed, but also the paranoia of not being able to trust anyone and never being able to rely on anyone or make any kind of plans. For example, say you want to go to a restaurant for dinner. Nope, the chef was found killed by a broccoli stalk through the head. Want to go see a movie? Nope, the theater closed because the guy at the snack counter was found murdered in a popcorn machine. And... Yes, he apparently drowned in movie theater butter. But you could forget about that plumber you called, too, because he's never coming. You might as well go online and watch some DIY videos, because sadly, your plumber was probably killed by an exploding U-trap or strangled with his drain snake. Actually, one of the articles I read about Murder, She Wrote, the TV show, said if Cabot Cove, and for those of you who may not know, Cabot Cove was where the main character of Murder, She Wrote, J.B. Fletcher lives. If Cabot Cove were a real place, it would have the highest murder rate in the world. So, yeah, there's a scary place. But maybe there's a lesson that we learn from mystery fiction characters. Like, 
Always be the hero of your own life story. Don't settle for the side character because they're always the ones in the most danger. Or maybe paranoia will keep you safe, but you won't have many friends unless you use that paranoia to become a best-selling mystery author. Speaking of mystery authors, I found a great article this week from the New York Times. It's an essay by Paul Collins that was posted January 7, 2011. And the title is The Case of the First Mystery Novelist. It's all about how in 1975, novelist and critic Julian Simons discovered a mystery novel that predated both Wilkie Collins' The Moonstone in 1868 and, I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Emile Gaborot's Le Affaire La Rouge and its detective Monsieur Lecoq. The novel Simons was... The novel Simons found was titled The Notting Hill Mystery, which originally appeared as an anonymous eight-part serial that ran in once-a-week magazine starting on November 29, 1862. The editors of Once a Week magazine in 1862 declared that the author's name, Charles Felix, was only a pseudonym and that they didn't know who the author really was. As for the story, The Notting Hill Mystery, it begins in London, presumably set during Victorian times, where the wife of Baron R. dies after sleepwalking into his home laboratory and drinking a bottle of acid. The insurance company, who is obliged to pay out a £25,000 policy taken out by Baron R. on Madame R., hires private investigator Ralph Henderson, and we're off to the races. The article makes a point of calling the story deliriously Victorian, with this diabolical mesmerist, kidnapping by gypsies, mysterious carnival girls, slow poisoners, a rich uncle's will, and not one but three murders. But who was Charles Felix? Apparently there were very few clues as to his true identity, only that the story itself is presented as diary entries, family letters, depositions of servant girls, chemical analyst reports, and even a crime scene map. Things that put the novel way ahead of its time. Charles Felix did write other things like a Christmas gift book called Barefooted Birdie and an unremarkable novel called Velvet Lawn. But other than that, there was virtually no correspondence between Felix and his publisher Saunders, Otley, and Company. The author of this article I'm referencing now, Paul Collins, he goes into detail about his own investigation into the mystery of who wrote the first mystery novel, and he eventually does present his prime suspect. It's a great essay, and I know better than to spoil the ending, so I'll just say that it's worth the time to find this article and read it. Once again, the title is The Case of the First Mystery Novelist by Paul Collins, posted in the New York Times, January 7th, 2011. Here is some cozy mystery news, courtesy of the Cozy Mystery List blog, and this was put out February 9th, 2020. Krista Davis has been asked to write three more entries in the Domestic Diva Mystery Series, which will bring that series to a total of at least 16 entries. Davis is also the author of the Pen and Ink Mystery Series, and the Paws and Claws mystery series. 
Sarah Fox will be releasing two more entries in the Pancake House Mystery Series, which will bring the series up to a total of nine entries. Fox is also the author of the Literary Pub Mystery Series and the Music Lovers Mystery Series. Karen Rose Smith will be putting out two more entries into her Daisy's Tea Garden Cozy Mystery Series, which will bring that series to a total of seven entries. Smith is also the author of the Caprice de Luca Mystery Series. Another fascinating article I found comes to us courtesy of the Guardian website and is titled How Locked Room Mystery King Ceci Yokomizo Broke Into English at Last by Allison Flood on Thursday, February 6, 2020. The article is about revered Japanese detective novelist Seishi Yokomizo, widely considered Japan's answer to Agatha Christie and John Dixon Carr, two authors much revered by Yokomizo himself, and how an unwillingness to publish translations kept much of his genius confined in Japan. The first English translation of The Hanjin Murders, being published last year by publisher Pushkin Vertigo, 73 years after its first appearance in Japan. According to editors at Pushkin Vertigo, there was a traditional reluctance of British and American publishers to take what they see as the risk of publishing books in translation. Even though a close review of the novels reveals that they have all the necessary ingredients that Western mystery lovers want, such as an old country house, a feuding family, mysterious noises in the night, a macabre murder, and a brilliant sleuth, the scruffy amateur Kosuke Kindaichi, a character who would go on to become Japan's most famous fictional detective. Even though the settings are Japanese and the stories are always connected to Japanese history, there's a decidedly Western feel to these stories because Seishi Yokomizo was a huge fan of authors like Edgar Allan Poe, the aforementioned Agatha Christie, and Arthur Conan Doyle, when he was a young boy hopping from bookstore to bookstore looking for any foreign language detective stories he could find. The Hanjin Murders uh, was first published in Japan in 1946, and it centers around a Japanese village in 1937 that is shocked by a gruesome murder. A newlywed couple is found shut away in a room, quote, Soaked in the crimson of their own blood, end quote, and a bloody samurai sword is left thrust in the snow outside. Yokomizo died in 1981. In 1980, a literary prize was established in Japan in his honor. The Seishi Yokomizo Award for an Unpublished Mystery Novel, the winners of which received 10 million yen and a statuette of the detective Kindaichi. Pushkin Vertigo is also publishing Yumiko Yamazaki's translation of Detective Kindaichi's second outing, The Inugami Curse, a story in which a series of disturbing murders begins after a wealthy man's will is read to his family. Uh, That article again was entitled How Locked Room Mystery King Seishi Yokomizo Broke into English at Last by Allison Flood on Thursday, February 6, 2020, on the Guardian website.
Speaking of the Japanese mystery fiction genre, besides being an avid mystery fiction fan, I am also a fan of anime. Now, I'm going to assume that most of you know that anime is Japanese animation. But did you know that there are several anime detectives? And as is the case with all Japanese anime, there are varying degrees of the serious nature and tone of these programs. They can range from the more appropriate for children mystery animes, like the latent mysteries, all the way up to more adult-oriented, serious-themed mystery animes like Gosik, Danganronpa, or Ungo. But today I wanted to discuss probably one of the most famous, therefore also the most accessible. You can find this on uh, YouTube, on Google Movies, on a whole bunch of different platforms. And that's the series Case Closed, also known as Detective Conan or Mei Tante Conan. As for a lot of anime shows, Case Closed started as a Japanese manga or comic book and was written and illustrated by Gosho Aoyama, who actually started the manga in 1994, and it's apparently still going in Japan. Uh, as of December 2019, there has been 97 volumes collected. The story centers around high school amateur detective Shinichi Kudo, uh, later renamed Jimmy Kudo in the English translation who has already gained some measure of fame having solved some high-profile cases alongside the police. Uh, as he is busy investigating a new mystery organiz mysterious organization, however, he is knocked unconscious from behind and forced to drink something that turns him into a small child. But the story doesn't end there. In order to keep chasing down this shadowy organization, Jimmy Kudo assumes a new identity as Conan Edogawa, Conan, of course, coming from Arthur Conan Doyle. And he moves into the home of his teenage friend, Ran Mori, Rachel Moore in English, and her private investigator father, Kogoro Mori, or Richard Moore. The anime version of the manga comic was produced by Yumiuri Telecasting Corporation and TMS Entertainment in 1996 in Japan, and in 2003, the first 104 episodes were released in the U.S. by Funimation, under the title Case Closed. The first time I became aware of this series was on Cartoon Network as part of that channel's Adult Swim lineup, along with several other English-dubbed anime that generally ran later in the night because of their more adult themes. This isn't Encyclopedia Brown, folks. Even though the main protagonist is a little boy, most of the cases he solves are murder mysteries. Here's part of the English promo for the anime as it aired on Adult Swim. When Tokyo police needed a crime solved, they turned to Jimmy Kudo, an inquisitive and popular young soccer ace with hopes of being the next Sherlock Holmes. Pretty big shoes to fill. But when the young detective is attacked after witnessing a crime, Jimmy discovers that the biggest shoes to fill might be his own. Forced to hide under the alias of six-year-old Conan Edogawa, Jimmy now looks to uncover the villains who drugged him. That, or leave it to the authorities. You get the cause of death? We're pretty sure it's the knife in his back, sir. 
Case Closed, premiering Monday, May 24th at 1230, Adult Swim. If you get a chance, I highly recommend this series, but hey, if animation is not really your thing, there were several live-action movie versions done, and most of them can be found English subtitled on YouTube under the title Detective Conan Drama Challenge. For all of my fellow fans of Mystery Fiction, I want to thank each and every one of you for tuning into this podcast every week. I'd also like to remind you that the Whodunaville podcast is made possible by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, I can say that it is the easiest way for anyone, yes, anyone, to make their own podcast. Have you ever wanted to make a podcast and let your distinctly interesting voice be heard throughout the world? Well, here's your chance. And all you have to do is download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. It's really that simple. By the way, did I already say it's free? Because it absolutely is. And here's even more great benefits you get with Anchor. They have creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more places where great podcasts like yours can be heard. You can also make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started because the world is waiting to hear what you have to say. Thanks again for joining me on this edition of the Houdinaville Podcast. Remember, we at the Houdinaville Podcast can always be contacted on Twitter at Houdinaville or through our email, houdinaville at gmail.com. I hope you enjoyed the show, and as always, it's life's little mysteries that make it more fun. Thank you.